Good morning, everyone. Um, I'm Phil. For those who don't know me, um, that's probably because I haven't spoken to you. And that's possibly because I'm slightly introverted, and Sundays I get to the point where I think, okay, I've had enough of people. So apologies if, if uh, that means we haven't spoken. Um, if there are anyone else, uh, if there are anyone else, if there is anyone else, if there are any others who uh, are similar, um, I commend to you the benefit of coiling cables for avoiding conversation. <laughs> I discovered this many years ago that it's a very good way of looking busy and avoiding people. So if there's anyone who, who needs an excuse to hide, that's a good one. So um, we're picking up today where Morag left off last week. So we're in the middle of Luke 7. Um, and to summarize, uh, we have news of Jesus starting to spread around the region. And then John sending two of his followers to ask or to check if Jesus was the one, if he was the Messiah. Um, and then Jesus answered by saying what was going on. So that was what Morag covered last week. Uh, this week, we're going to start by listening to the passage in a paraphrased version called The Voice, and then we're going to step through verse by verse in a more literal translation, namely the ESV. So if I could ask Graham and Marlies to come up and read, that would be extremely nice. Yeah, today's reading is in the voice translation of Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, verses 24 to 35. I'll read Luke's narration, and Marlies will read the words of Jesus. When John's messengers left, Jesus talked to the crowds about John. When you went out into the wilderness to see John, what were you expecting? A reed shaking in the wind? What were you looking for? A man in expensive clothing? Look, if you were looking for fancy clothing and luxurious living, you went to the wrong place. You should have gone to the king's courts, not to the wilderness. What were you seeking? A prophet? Ah, yes, that's what John is, and even more than a prophet. The prophet Malachi was talking about John when he wrote, I will send my messenger before you to clear your path in front of you. Listen, there is no human being greater than this man, John the Baptist. Yet, even the least significant person in the king coming kingdom of God is greater than John. The common people and tax collectors heard God's own wisdom in Jesus' assessment of John because they had been ritually cleansed through baptism by John. But the Pharisees and religious scholars hardened their hearts and turned their backs on God's purposes for them because they had refused John's baptism. The people of this generation, what are they like? To what can they be compared? I'll tell you, they're like spoiled kids sitting in the marketplace, playing games and calling out. We played the pipes for you, but you didn't dance to our tune. We cried like mourners, but you didn't cry with us. You can't win with this generation. 
John the Baptist comes along, fasting and abstaining from wine, and you say, this guy is demon-possessed. The Son of Man comes along, feasting and drinking wine, and you say, this guy is a glutton and a drunk, a friend of scoundrels and tax collectors. Well, wisdom's true children know wisdom when they hear it. Yes. So, look, jumping back to the start of the passage, we have John's disciples and Jesus' disciples. Now, it might just be me, but in my head, it feels a bit like rival gangs. Uh, maybe the sharks and the jets. And just in case you think I'm really old, I, of course, am referring to the Spielberg reboot, not the original. <laughs> Honest. Um, so, I, I think that's a misleading analogy, the, the, the idea that there's uh, two gangs that are going to fight. I think a better analogy might be the Scotland rugby team and the British and Irish Lions rugby team. The fact you can be in both. Um, and in fact, we find that two of Jesus' early disciples were actually previously followers of John. We see that in John 1, verse 35. Uh, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Uh, skipping to verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So there we go. So we've got two people, both followers of John. One was Andrew. Who was the other? Well, um, commentaries differ. That's the short answer. Most people think it was probably John who wrote the gospel. Others think it might have been Philip, because he was from the same village and was often with Andrew in other times, or Thomas the twin, who was also part of that group. It doesn't really matter, does it? Um, unless you're writing a commentary, in which case it really does. <laughs> um, but for us today, the point is, uh, some of John's disciples or followers did choose to follow Jesus. So I thought at this case it was worth thinking about who John the Baptist was. If you've been part of church for ages, uh, you've probably taken a lot of this on by osmosis, but I think it can be easy to get lost. So I've got a couple of things that might stick in your memory. First of all, John the Baptist used to walk through the desert in bare feet or sandals, which must have left him with rather interesting feet. He was known to receive signs from God and occasionally perform mystical acts. He subsisted on a diet of locusts and honey, so he possibly had bad breath and was probably hungry. I guess you could say he was a super calloused, fragile mystic plagued with halitosis. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> My wife is shaking her head at me already. Um, if that was a bit long... Here's, an, uh, here's a slightly shorter one. John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin, but his head was once removed. <laughs> okay. Perhaps more helpfully we could move on and say that John was from the era of the law and the prophets, whereas Jesus ushered in the new era of the new kingdom. And as Morag said last week, John was sent ahead of Jesus and she quoted from Isaiah. Well, today we have a quote from Malachi instead. Looking back at the passage, verse 27 is a quote from Malachi 3. Um, and in that passage, uh, John is identified with the messenger in Malachi 3. And then later in Malachi 4, uh, you'll see that the messenger is actually um, 
Elijah the prophet. So there we have a link. Sorry, I see some of you looking. I'm just going to move this out of the way. And uh, there we go. The good news is now I can't see the stopwatch, so I can go on forever. Um, so we've got a link between John the Baptist and Elijah. And again, if you've been around church, you probably know this. But I thought it was worth going through again. Where else can we see this? What other evidence do we have? Because that one is a bit tenuous. You know, you're going from a reference to Malachi to John and then another reference to Elijah. Um, so if we look at, back at Luke 1, we've got a reference from before John was born. Um, uh, picking up verse 16, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Um, and then in Matthew's account of the transfiguration, we've got a reference in chapter 17. Uh, the disciples are asking Jesus, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And then he, Jesus, answered, Elijah does come and he will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah's already come. And they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. So John was not literally Elijah reincarnated. He instead had a similar ministry, a similar blessing, and a similar spirit to Elijah. Uh, both were highly prophetic, both spoke a message of repentance. Um, and there are actually many parallels between the two. I thought I'd skim through a few, but there's lots more. Um, so first of all, both anointed their successor, that's in 1 Kings 19 and Luke 3. Both ate food provided by God, that's 1 Kings 21 and Luke 1. Both called people back to God, 1 Kings 18 and Matthew 3. Both were involved in a public display with their successor. That's 1 Kings 19 and Matthew 3. Both had an evil queen wanting to murder them. 1 Kings 19 and Mark 6. Both spoke to a remnant who were left who could respond. 1 Kings 19, Mark 1. Both were referred to as a servant or prophet of the Lord. 2 Kings 10, Luke 1. And both wore animal skin clothing and a leather belt. That's 2 Kings 1, Matthew 3. By the way, the animal skin and leather belt was taken to be the costume of a prophet. So that's why that's included. Um, if, if you're really studious, you might go away and look at those references. And some of the uh, translations in 2 Kings 1 just say, Elijah is a very hairy man, which always made me chuckle as a child. But I think it's actually referring to the hairy garments, if you come across that. <laughs> or, or maybe not. Maybe he really was very hairy. I guess we can find out in heaven. Um, so the, hopefully that's given you a flavor for the fact there's lots of similarities between John and Elijah. So looking back at the passage, verse 28, we see this. None is greater than John, yet the one who's least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So what's going on here? Well, first, John, as Jesus' precursor, was much more than just a prophet. But John was identified with the period of the law and the prophets. We see that in Luke 16, 16. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached. And then, flipping back to verse 28, we see the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. So as Craig Evans put it in his commentary, 
This implies that the new era brought about by Jesus is vastly superior to the period of old Israel. John is the prince among the prophets. He's the climax, if you like, of the old era. But in comparison to the new age that's dawned, he's a minor figure. Moving on to verse 30, the Pharisees and the experts in the law were obviously struggling. First of all, they struggled with John. They didn't like his message of repentance, and they didn't like him baptizing people. So you think, well, maybe they're like Jesus. (laughs) But no, they didn't like his teaching of the kingdom either. And then we come to this rather strange bit, verses 31 to 32. And well done, Matt, for keeping up. Not bad on a few hours sleep. Um, We've got this rather strange thing about children playing flutes, dancing, crying, laughing. What's going on? Is this just a very strange, surreal topic shift? Well, the good news is, if you're not sure what's going on, I think it's safe to say that even learned people who write commentaries would appear to have quite a wide variety of opinions. Um, So I think it's safe to say nobody properly knows. But I did go looking, and I've got two possible interpretations for you. Um, The first is that those who didn't dance could be those who didn't respond to Jesus' good news. That would seem logical. And those who didn't cry were those who refused to mourn and repent in response to John's message. Now, that's quite neat, but it doesn't quite fit the order that John came first and Jesus came next. So I personally prefer this next interpretation, where the children represent the people of this generation. Um, And they ask John to dance instead of talking about repentance and doing all that nonsense. And they ask Jesus to cry instead of drinking and celebrating and talking about this new kingdom. Um, Either way, the point of the parable is that the people of Israel, and particularly the religious leaders at the time, they'd not been satisfied with either John or Jesus. And then we continue this theme on verses 33 to 35. Apparently, John was not eating enough. Jesus was eating too much. Again, I think it's just this whole sort of disapproving bystander um, thing that the the religious authorities had. Oh, that's a bit extreme, regardless of what was happening. If it wasn't them who was in charge, they felt that it was quite, not quite right. Um, So John was fasting because of his message of repentance. He was preparing the way. Jesus was celebrating and therefore eating and drinking because he was celebrating the new kingdom. Both are equally valid, but both can cause offense. I I like to think of it as a bit like being a grumpy guest, which I must confess I am sometimes, but we'll skip by that. Um, So a grumpy guest who's not happy either at a wedding or a funeral. You know, they're just not happy anywhere. And that's what I think the religious leaders are are like here. They're just not happy with anything that's not them. Um, And really what struck me while I was looking at this was that uh, we shouldn't miss what God's doing. Um, There are other good churches, for example, here in St. Andrews. God's at work in them as well. And we should have a wider body view. So if one congregation happens to be blessed, then we should celebrate with them. Um, And I know I'm preaching to the choir because you guys get this, but it struck me at least that sometimes it's easy to be critical of other Christian groups. And actually, why? because God's using them as well. Uh, And just to finish off the passage, verse 35. 
Uh, this is translated quite differently depending on what translation you use. So broadly speaking, it's wisdom is justified or recognized or proved right by all her children. And really what this is, is saying is that God's purposes in John and Jesus are vindicated by their results. Uh, that is, the many who come to faith and become part of the people of God. They see the purpose of God at work in John and Jesus. And that's us come whistling to the end of the passage. I've kept it short because I wanted to focus on application. Um, so I've got four areas uh, that, that God put on my heart. Um, and I'm going to leave plenty of time for prayer. Uh, so the first one is it's okay to have questions. John the Baptist, remember, was the one who baptized Jesus, heard the voice from the cloud, saw the dove. You know, you'd think if anyone would get it, he would. And yet, even so, he was questioning, he was asking questions. So I think it's an encouragement that um, if you are having a wobble, as Morag put it last week, it's okay to ask for help. Um, an engaged student, for those who are still in the academic sector, is one who asks questions rather than avoiding eye contact. Um, and I think God actually likes it when we ask him questions. It's okay, even if you've asked the same question before, it's okay to come back and say, Holy Spirit, help. I don't think I understand this. But um, Maybe if you allowed yourself to forget what God has and is doing, and you need a reassurance and reminder. So come forward in a few minutes for prayer if that's you. The second one is about expectations, and I'm really not plagiarizing, because that would be naughty, but borrowing heavily from what Morag said last week. Uh, she, she put it like this, we can sometimes allow our expectations and perspective to get in the way of recognizing what God's doing. And this is what John appeared to do with Jesus. To use a more modern phrase, our unconscious bias can hold us back or stop us from recognizing and getting involved in God's work. Um, for example, we might think, this isn't what usually happens, so it can't be God. And if it's not God, it must be something else. Um, God may, or in fact probably will, use people that you might have overlooked, you might have discounted, or you might even not like. Um, he's got a habit of choosing unlikely people. To quote from 1 Corinthians 1, uh, picking up verse 27, but celebrate this. God selected the world's foolish to bring shame upon those who think they are wise. Likewise, he selected the world's weak to bring disgrace upon those who think they're strong. God selected the common and the cast off, whatever lacks status, so he could invalidate the claims of those who think those things are significant. So again, if any of that's you, come forward for prayer to have your perspective and expectations renewed. The third point is that the kingdom is here. As a reminder, John's role was to prepare the way for Jesus, and he preached, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand or is near. Jesus, on the other hand, was demonstrating this new kingdom with powerful miracles and also sharing the good news. Looking slightly earlier in Luke 7, this is what Jesus told John's followers at the end of last week. Go and tell John what you've witnessed with your own eyes and ears. The blind are seeing again, the lame are walking again, the lepers are clean again, the deaf hear again, the dead live again, and good news is preached to the poor. Whoever's not offended by me is blessed indeed. So I think just from, from the last two weeks looking at this passage, 
we should be a true child of wisdom and accept the ministry of Jesus. And I just wanted to give an opportunity, if there's anyone here who isn't yet a Christian, why don't you start today? And then fourth, and this is really what hit me most while I was studying, was we should be slow to judge. I've touched on this already, but I just want to unpack it a bit more. We should be slow to judge what God's doing in other people, in other churches, or in other parts of the world. We Christians are not perfect, and we're even less perfect when we write online about other Christians. Um, It's too easy for us to be critical, particularly when it wasn't invented here, or we don't see that, or it doesn't happen here. Um, As John Wimber put it, we need to learn how to keep people through love. Despite imperfections, sins, and irritating habits of other Christians, they belong to Jesus, and they need our love as a healthy climate for growth. Or, and this might offend a few, um, as Archbishop Desmond Tutu memorably wrote in the Sunday Times in 2001, and I'm not going to try and do the voice because my wife will be very cross, but we may be surprised at the people we find in heaven. God has a soft spot for sinners. His standards are quite low. And I thought that was a great way to finish. Um, So if any of that's spoken to you, come forward for prayer, or in fact, if you've just been politely waiting for me to shut up, you can also come forward for prayer, and we've got plenty of time. So if the band could come back, that would be marvelous.